Hello and welcome to season three, episode four of the Dayton podcast. Ravi, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm here in sunny Seattle. Apparently, this, that's a weird um, scenario to be in, given that it's apparently always wet here, but it's not. And um, <laughs> I've spent about about a week here now. I'm um, here okay. for Friday for, um, for some Tableau things, basically. Good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, and so today is actually our first analog episode, isn't it? It is. It is indeed. So analog for those who who don't remember this, we actually came up with this last year where we wanted to speak to devs. We want to speak to uh, people that actually build products and just understand what they do and how they do it, um, the ways they get there, the product cycles, all these things. Um, so I'm delighted to be in the room this time with uh, Kent Martin. He's our spatial guest. Hey! Hey! Who expected that one? <laughs> uh, he's our spatial guest, and um, Kent, do you want to explain why I said spatial and what do you do? Sure. Well, first, I want to say thanks for having me on, Ravi, Tim. I know we've crossed paths, you know, every so often at Tableau Conference, but it's a pleasure to have this more intimate setting here on your podcast. Uh, Amazing. Yeah, people say I'm a spatial guy or the maps guy because I am a geographer and I've worked on and with mapping technology and GIS software and uh, spatial analytics uh, products uh, my whole career. So happy to be on the show and, and talk about all things related. I guess the big, the big thing um, that's come out yesterday, I guess, is Buffer, which is a new type in, in Tableau. I mean, I guess my question for that one is, how excited do you get when something you've built or spent some sort of lead time on actually goes live? You know, it's always exciting. You know, it's, I mean, it's not like, you know, birth of a child exciting, like it's, you know, like, let's be real, right? Like there's, there's monumental achievements in life. And then there is delivering something in which you've put a lot, a lot of hard work in, uh, you know, you've worked closely with a large number of peers, like nothing is ever just an individual solo effort. And it's like easy, right? Things are inherently right, right. complex, you know, engineering teams, uh, you know, all of the context of development, uh, you know, Salesforce acquires Tableau. We have Tableau conference and the Salesforce Dreamforce conference. We have, everyone's got vacations. I mean, just, I, there's a million things that are <laughs> happening and you're like, I just want to build this feature to help the people understand location and how it impacts their work. And then you do it right. and you deliver it and it feels great. Um, you know, last night I, you know, I was checking Twitter uh, you know, I, I check Twitter more than I check email or these other things, right? Um, but I'm checking Twitter and I could, I was waiting for the notification, right? Like there's an email notification and there's a tweet notification. And you know, there's these things that like, they're going to be so close together, right? Um, and as soon as it happened, <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, sometimes I already have a tweet drafted. I'm waiting for the date because sometimes it gets pushed back a little bit or you don't know exactly when. Uh, but it's a moment of yeah. anticipation. So uh, I live that anticipation uh, whenever there's a release. It's always exciting to bring uh, new features to people so it's it's fun awesome do you, do you have a sense of like how um, how hot the feature is going to be and then how mm -hmm. the community reacts in, in response <laughs> right you know i have a sense right like with some features it's right. it's just too easy you know like dynamic okay. parameters or viz animations which also released with the buffer release um you know obviously buffer the most important of the three features i'm talking about but long-awaited dynamic parameters and viz animations and certainly bringing <laughs> uh you know the play button to server and tableau public like those things yeah. you, you know are going to be hot and people are going to be showing stuff off people are going to be building and sharing all that content the thing with a lot of the mapping stuff 
uh, that we work on is that, you know, I, I had a number of people respond to my tweet, uh, which is basically saying right. like, hey, buffers are out there, distance-driven analysis, you know, it's now easy. And people are just like, oh my God, I've been waiting for that. Or this is the thing I'm gonna work on tomorrow. This is the most important thing in my work. Because if you work and care about location, I mean, this is the thing this that is, is helping you yeah. get through all of the roadblocks to this type of analysis, right? Like it just makes it so much easier. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's definitely a, a segment of people who, you know, this is their job. This is the way they think about problems. And obviously location is this pervasive thing in context for almost every business and every type of organization. So, you know, it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, but there are people who, who care about it and they know how important it is. And um, it's always nice to hear that voice come out and be like, hey, I know you built this for me, um, which is great. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I wasn't expecting a big pop for Buffer because some people are just going to be confused by the name. You know, you're like, dang it, you know, we have right. to call it Buffer because you should. And that's the standard. And that's what we all call it in the geospatial world. And it's okay to educate people a little bit. You don't have the most, you know, yeah. if you don't have the most intuitive name it's okay. You can, mm -hmm. you can use the right word uh, because people are smart and they can learn it. Um, yeah. You know, I wouldn't want to call it, you know, anything ridiculous, crazy 10 syllables or something like that, but um, yeah, buffer, it, it'll make its impression over time. What would you have called it instead? You know, I was trying to think of something smart off the top of my head and I came up with nothing because there's no better name. Uh, <laughs> but if, if, you know, what are you going to do? Like just the concept of buffering, um, you know, you might use a phrase, like within a distance, right? You know, type of analysis, right? And and I like the, this catchphrase, yeah. distance driven. But yeah, I mean, I'm, trade area would that be one that you'd, you'd call it? You know, if it's a trade area, really means something. Like you are trading the goods. When when you want to understand, sort of, if I'm within a mile of a hurricane path, <laughs> I, I don't want to call. It, oh, well, check the trade areas, guys, for the hurricane. You know, like that's a bit rough. Um, but if you come up with a better idea, you let me know. And if you know your ideas prove creative right. enough, maybe we'll bring you into this and we'll help you do some name. Well, yeah, you know, uh, a month and a half ago, I wrote this blog post about uh, transitions versus animations and whether you know what, what they should be called. So it's actually a very passionate sort of area of of the product, right? Because what you name it really does dictate how well people discover it, and then also, secondly, whether people understand it or not, right? Well, it it does. It does, but I, you know, I, I'm pushing back a little bit saying, um, I mean, even if you're a new user to Tableau, right? And mm -hmm. someone's like, hey man, don't worry, you can do that with dynamic parameters. Or hey, just go use the set action. Yeah. It's like, you know, if you don't know the vocabulary even, like that's a non, right. you know, you can't just jump right into that. Um, so yeah, exactly. yeah. with spatial stuff that, you know, the spatial uh, functions, the spatial predicates that, you know, we have built into Tableau, intersects, buffer, distance, make point, make line. I mean, some of them are, are really like, you know, it's it's written in plain language, right? Like make line, that's going right. to make a line. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so you kind of benefit from some <laughs> of those standards. But yeah, I, I'm not so concerned about like intuitive understanding of like the top of the headline, like clickbait type thing, right? Like it doesn't need to be one word. <laughs> you captured it all. People will read a, a second sentence, yeah. I hope. Yeah, yeah, too right, too right. I have to say, just just touching on sort of feature releases, um, you know, I think in the last, uh, I think two years, there's been a really strong cadence in terms of the spatial features sort of coming through. Um, just before the podcast, I kind of joked with Ravi how you guys are making point, make line, just making shit happen, right? So <laughs> it's it's kind of a, it's 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 been amazing. And so, just talk a bit about that. Like, um, what does it take to kind of get that momentum and, and get that kind of airtime in the product? Yeah, maybe I can. I, I'll take a little step back and. You know, tell you about some of the history of where I came from and, right. uh, you know, sort of like this release and cadence of features uh, that we built. 
you know, when, when I came to Tableau, there, there was a, a mapping team that was really focused on the geocoding data and building mm -hmm. and serving map tiles. We built our own map service in-house. And so right. that was the primary objective of the team, right? It wasn't any sort of front-end visualization, analytical geospatial features at all. Um, and the team had recently built, I think, Map Search was like the big thing. Right. Um, and Map Search is wonderful. You know, it's it's wonderful. You can just type in something and it goes there. Um, but it's yeah. it's not what I would call the most important thing that needed to be built, right? And we started to build a vision for what needed to happen in the future and lay some groundwork initially, and then build on top of the groundwork. So at that time, spatial wasn't a type in Tableau like numbers and dates and strings, right? And we needed that to be a type right. so you could work with it efficiently and it could do the type of analytical things that you wanted to do with it. And you could read native spatial data sources, right? So yeah, yeah. once we built out sort of a vision, which was around, well, you can't do spatial analysis if you can't see spatial data, right? Um, well, let's, let's build the data, right? This is like a pillar, um, connect to spatial data. And then we thought, well, there's, then there's the analytical operations, right? Once you have a spatial type, right, right. I mean, well, what's the leap to get intersects and a spatial join to work? Because that allows spatial aggregation, yeah. right? And then you have yeah. to think about the whole time, like what are these common scenarios that people care about? They care about proximity analysis, right? This kind of distance driven stuff. Uh, and that's really why yeah. we built make point, make line, distance and buffer. All of those things in concert allow you to work with data that comes in common forms, which kind of comes full circle back to like common spatial data sources, which is just latitudes and longitudes right. in an Excel spreadsheet, right? Now you can do spatial right. join yeah. between a CSV file and an Excel spreadsheet. You can't do that in other places. It just makes it so flexible. Um, but I also say about right. sort of the cadence, you know, there's a, there's a balance to be struck between building and innovating new things and really delivering new novel features versus well, you have to maintain things, you have to, you know, the people that requested features on the on the Tableau Ideas site right. in 2012, they weren't thinking we were going to get to intersects, you know, in 2016 or 17, right? At the time, they're thinking, right, well, right. can you make uh, geocoding a little easier? Or there's some data that's missing? Or can I have a new selection tool? Or, you know, I'm not trying to say those are narrow or shorter views, but certainly that's trying to help them mm -hmm. solve the problem right in front of them. So, you know, it, it's kind of hard yeah. to build up, um, you know, a strategy that allows you to both accelerate innovation, maintain some of the customer requests uh, and, and that trajectory to supporting existing customers. Uh, but, you know, you deal with the right. trade-offs and I think we've done a good job. Yeah, so, I mean, my question to that is, when do you say the technology is not there yet versus here's a great idea when you're actually mapping that out? Like, at what point is it technology first or how long does it take us versus we just need to get this done and we should spend time on that? You know, this is, this is, a, this is a pivotal question, right? This is like the, the crux of the hard problems to solve, right? How do you know right. when to build something? Um, I will say that there are times when, when you, you know, you can have a little bit of intuition here, right? You generally know mm -hmm. how the code is, is laid out, like the structure of the code and where something would fit into it. And you know how, and, this, and, right. and like the UX paradigms that could surface it and expose it to people so that they can click a button or drag, a, a drag their mouse. Um, there is something to be said about the collaboration between user experience, UX and research, engineering, and product management, and, and right. really understanding the requirements and use. When you really have a good understanding about what customers need, and you have a fairly good, but it doesn't need to be completely thorough, understanding of how you can move forward and build, and know that you can solve the problem, right? right? And you have a, mm -hmm. a user experience that you believe 
fits in with or presents a new and sort of exciting and engaging way, uh, then you, you know, right. you're already on good footing there, right? But it's those moments where you're like, okay. hey, we know exactly what to build. And you know, the engineering team might say, well, hang on, that might require a one-year refactoring of the core part of the code. And you know, VizQL right. doesn't know how to, uh, how to handle that right now. And, and we're gonna have to figure out how that's gonna work, right? Like, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess that double taps into a second question, which is what is the difference between a dev and a product manager and a user researcher? Right. A dev, a product manager, and a researcher. Um, well, I'm a product manager. So my job is to be the primary customer advocate someone who gathers requirements, understands the use cases, understands both the use case for the user, the user goals, and the business case, the business goals and how this supports and is aligned with our strategy as a company. A user researcher right. and an engineer, they need some of those things as well. They want to understand why we're doing something, uh, but that's like the product manager needs to, un like, needs to really own you know, the what and the why, right? What it is and why mm -hmm. we need it. Mm -hmm. And the engineering team really needs to understand the how, like own the how. Right? How are we going to build right. this? How are we going to achieve it? How can we execute and deliver this efficiently? And then of course the design team mm -hmm. needs to really think through and also understand the user experience needs, like things like how often will something be used? Might change the way you design a user interface around that, right? Um, but mm -hmm. do sort of a deeper dive into research to really help validate and, and really become a partner sort of in the inception phase of, of building out um, a feature and, and the requirements that you're gonna build for that feature. Uh, but research is sort of a partner along the way, along with design. Um, yeah, so I, I think that answers it. So, so thanks for that insight. I think it's it's really fascinating because as, uh, I guess as a consultant, but as a user of your product, um, we very much sort of have a completely sort of different perspective. So just, just from your perspective, once you've shipped a feature, how how do you then sort of uh, keep in touch with how people are using it, right? Because sometimes you might ship something and people might not use it how you expected, right? No, totally. Um, I think for me, I, I'm definitely willing to use all channels available. So, you know, I'm right. active on social media. People know me, they ping me. I'm active on the Tableau mm -hmm. forums, you know, our community forums. People post things there and I answer questions or I read the questions and I see what the feedback is there. I work closely with our Tableau field and the, and the sales team. And I get feedback mm -hmm. directly from them, you know, as a proxy for customers. Um, you know, so everywhere that I can get information, I'm looking for it. Uh, and then, you know, Tableau in some ways uh, collects usage data uh, so we can understand some, some patterns uh, that have emerged within the product, right? Uh, but, you know, usually, yeah. and, and I do feel this way, like fairly strongly, although not like, you know, strongly held, or, or I have a strong opinion uh, about this, but loosely held because I do feel like we get it right a lot here. Like, you know, this is mm -hmm. a professional software factory, right? And 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 I, and I do <laughs> right, feel right. like we have the culture that hasn't forced us to push things out prematurely. Um, you know, we might talk right. about the delay to get to some of the features um, or when they were you know asked for and why did it take so long. Um, but I know that we right. spent the time and effort. Uh, certainly, you know, within the mapping features, is, I can speak exactly to it because I, I'm one of the owners of the area. And that is, you know, we don't see a lot of defects. We certainly don't get a lot of like strong complaints. And when we do, we're, we're, you know, we're responsive to that. I, I can say one recent example was um, in the 2019.3 release, we released the spatial function distance, right? But that particular right, function right. Uh, was, it would materialize when you created an extract. So when you went from live to extract, it materialized the calculation, right. which means you cannot use parameters or uh, LOD calcs. Like it's limited 
uh, to what you can do with something that is materialized. I can't say that word, Tim. I don't okay. know how you're going to fix that. <laughs> but, um, you know, and we got feedback immediately. Like people are trying to parameterize and, and do interesting things with distance. And I had to say, you know, right. we tried to sh ship an incrementally valuable thing here, but we realized that, you know, it, it wasn't probably meeting the bar for like even the common advanced uses. And, right, and you know, right. we immediately worked on uh, bringing that along with buffer to be like sort of fully right. functional, any data source, anytime is going to work the way you would expect it to work. Uh, you don't have to think about yeah. managing the data source in any way. Right. Um, and so we, you know, yeah. we did that with, and that was really driven from a lot of feedback, both from known people in the community, but also people that were just uh, posting comments in, in the, in the right forms. Good, good. I, it's it's funny because as a consultant, I, I I tend to call the similar thing technical debt, where basically you want to give the client uh, what they want, but you also don't want to leave them with something that's going to in you know three months time break or you know be impossible. For yeah, them technical to debt is such a you know it has negative connotation with it, right? I, we, I know, we I know, like right? To say, we're going to need to fast follow here. Um, you know, we're we're going to need to to bring this one home. Like we, you know, like we we've started it, we need to finish it, kind of thing. Um, right. So yeah, right. it's it's tricky to find that balance sometimes. But I'm curious though, like Tim, like how have you, like what are the best ways for you to give feedback? Like how do you how do you expect to give feedback? If you see a problem, what do you right. do when that happens? Yeah. So it's funny because uh, uh, typically what I try and understand is: am I seeing a problem, or am I misunderstanding hmm. sort of what I'm looking at? Right? Because um, if I if I think about my own background, I didn't come into sort of analytics from a traditional database background. So half the time, most of the things I see are data issues or data structural issues, or I'm asking something too complex of the software that I just don't understand sort of what's going on. So standard thing, go to Superstore Sales, recreate the problem. If you can recreate it, great. Um, the second thing I then do is share it. So I ask other people because, you know, before you put a, put your hand up and say this is a problem, you kind of want to double check yeah. you're right, right? You don't want to. <laughs> I don't. I don't email you and say, "Hey, this is this sucks." If uh, and then you turn around and go, uh, "Did you uh, did you enable this one little feature?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Don't." <laughs> so <laughs> you just want to kind of validate with other people who kind of know what's going on. And then the last thing is, you know, take a picture, take a video. Um, I started doing this more in the last year, um, especially with Tableau Prep, where I just take annotations of what I'm trying to do, and I just literally annotate the screenshot because. One thing I've realized is when you try and describe something in text, uh, this this, this uh, terminology thing that we talked about earlier comes up, uh, whereas you could be using the wrong terminology. Uh, secondly, the person could be thinking of it differently to how you are articulating it. And then lastly, um, you could just be completely missing each other. So just a screenshot annotations means everyone's looking at the same thing. And if they don't understand it, they're asking you off the same context. And then from there, we're just just the back and forth, just good good communication lines, and you know, I think seventy percent of the time it's just me misunderstanding the tool, misunderstanding how something works. Yeah, I mean, we we face sort of similar <laughs> challenges, you know, as we build new features and as we you know collaborate and work on the quality of a feature and um, you know make sure right. it's it's ready for production. Um, you know, right. anyone who finds an issue uh, for something that we think is done or working right, you know, again, it's not like oh, you yeah. don't just log a defect immediately. It's hang on. It, Let's let's check right. the version of the build. Let's uh, check with the person who's working on that particular area. Let's make sure we can check mm -hmm. a different platform. Is there something specific or check a different browser? You know, like do yeah. all the things to sort of break it down. And you know, every once in a while, you're like, well, why don't you go back a version? Go back to version nine. Yeah. You know, go back to version eight. Yeah. It's like, oh wait, that's always been there. Let's have a new conversation. Yeah. You know. 
yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, I think some people sometimes perceive an issue uh, when there there hasn't actually been one. So they'll just simply kind of. I've seen this a couple of times where someone will remember a feature in the past differently when nothing has changed, if that mm. makes sense. You know, you could open the, an older version, everything works fine. And so there's also that sort of confirmation bias where people are absolutely convinced that something has changed <laughs> when nothing has changed. But you change the version number, so therefore you have to go through this like cycle of yeah. literally getting them side by side. Yeah, my, my, my favorite version <laughs> of that is uh, when the chief product officer of the company, who, who you may know, is like, hey, this isn't working. And you're like, that's not released yet. And you're like, oh, I thought we released that. And you're like, no. And he's like, can you, can you get that done soon? And you're like, ah. <laughs> oh, no, no. I know the feeling. Gosh. Um, so, yeah, no, it's a, re- it's a really interesting kind of uh, sort of problem space that I think you, you, you um, sort of have to deal with. Um, just stepping back, sort of when do you get sort of your work done? And I don't mean that in a, a sort of a flippant way, like when do you work and stuff like that. But you mentioned sort of all these other challenges around product marketing, you know, acquisitions and all this sort of other sort of atmospherical sort of activity going on. When do you sort of carve out time in your day to kind of, you know, really put your head down and uh, you know, solve problems? You know, um, you know, I can be pretty direct about this. I mean, I feel like I spend all day and, and this is a good thing, solving problems. Like, that, that that is why I come to work every day, right? I don't I don't come to work thinking like, oh, you know, today's going to be a day where we don't solve problems or things are easy and there are no problems. It's like, no, everything is a problem and I'm constantly trying to work towards solving them. Some of these problems are huge yeah. and run across functions and departments and organizations. And some of these problems are, are simple. Some of these are technical problems. Some of these are sort of soft, uh, you know, personal problems, right? Like right. any number of these things, because everything that you do is looking to, you know, everything that I do is about just being more efficient, right? Like, and, and this isn't just about right. like the work. It's also about having fun. You know, like I definitely took this time out of my day to join this recording because I was like, that's fun, you know? <laughs> um, and, and it serves Good. a couple of, you know, quote unquote, you know, problems, right? Like I, I want to balance out sort of these engaging uh, sort of evangelical, interesting opportunities um, with, yeah. you know, working with and meeting with the team, you know, multiple times a day, different teams, you know, uh, working on different things. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I could have said, uh, well, I get in in the morning and I, and I try to respond to the emails that I flag, <laughs> but I can never keep up. And then, uh, well, of course I got to check Twitter before I go to a daily meeting, um, and make sure no one said anything bad right. about me. And then, you know, I start yeah. to get hungry <laughs> at 10 cause I have, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big guy and I eat a lot and I have metabolism and I just, I need to. And then it's like, right. with all that going on, how are you doing anything? But the mindset <laughs> is just really about, you know, solving problems, recognize an individual problem, and then try to solve it, right? And understand yeah, the scale yeah. at which you need to solve the problem, and then go forward. Good, good. It's 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 fascinating because you know, f- from a from a consulting point of view, um, problems tend to be kind of far and few between most of them are you know technical if you're working in the product but the rest are purely communication and client facing right so um do you ever sort of have that uh, uh you know sort of difficulty transitioning from the different types of challenges so you might have a technical problem then you go to like a, a people problem because as you mentioned people are doing lots of different things yeah. how do you sort of switch in and out of those spaces yeah you know i think everyone handles this type of situation and, and like the notion of like context switching and right. um and you know people have different skills you're asking me how do i do yeah. this and, and what are the, the different challenges mm-hmm. 
Um, I think this is something that I'm actually fairly good at. Like, I just recognize a, a problem or the type of problem and I, I assess it and compartmentalize it appropriately and then deal with it directly. Um, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a proponent of constant, you know, frequent direct communication. So I yeah. embody that spirit. So if there is like, a, you know, a disagreement problem, it's like, hey, what are we disagreeing about? Tell me your perspective. Let me yeah. understand where you're coming from. Let's get on the same page, right? It's not like yeah, right, go right. through back channels or try to figure out, well, is that an assumption? Um, you know, it, communication <laughs> is so key to all these things, right? I was talking right. with uh, my boss earlier today and we literally had this conversation, which was, you know, no one's ever complained about over communication. No one, uh, you know, right. communication doesn't close doors. It only opens doors, right? And so, right. you know, right. I agree with you when you're like, you know, most of the time it's about communication, making sure you're aligned on the same page. And, you know, that's, that's, you know, if communication is the thing you're trying to work with and, and use to solve these problems, it, it doesn't really matter if it's a people problem or, or a technical problem or whatever it might be, like working with a, a different team, right. you, you just know that, oh, yeah. hey, wait, we're not on the same page. And you go through the same exercise, right. you know, mentally to like, how would I do this? Oh, I need to make sure they understand. I need to make sure I understand them, et cetera. Yeah, cool, cool. Right, I'll uh, change the tone a bit, just make it a little bit more lighthearted now. Um, I, we didn't really ask this at the beginning, but how did you how did you get into mapping? Sure. Like, what kind of led you to mapping? Yeah, well, I could tell a few stories. Um, you know, I could say I've always been interested in maps. Like, it's just there is something right. about the world as you see it and understand it that you know gravitates to a lot of people, right? I'm not the only person. Right. Uh, I sometimes tell people too, right? Like, you know, when you read a children's book, like if you have a if you have kids or you know kids in your life, um, and you yeah. read them a book. You know, how often do you see a map in the books? And I would say very frequently you see maps. Um, but, you know, you yeah, don't right. see Sankeys in the, in the children's books, you know, and you don't see a, a, <laughs> even a bar chart mostly. Um, you know, you see maps. They're, they're right. there from the beginning of life as this thing that you learn about. Like, it's so important. Um, and so, yeah. you know, for me, you know, I went through high school and, and into university, and I always tried to take a number of different ranging, wide ranging subjects, right? Um, you know, I liked mm -hmm. math in high school, but I always took geography and history. Um, I, mm -hmm. when I went to university, I said to myself, you know, what? I want to study something completely different that I haven't had a chance to study yet. I didn't go into math or science. Uh, I wanted to learn about right. environmental governance and policy because I felt like that would be a need in the future as we look at the problems okay. we face as it relates to climate. Um, but I realized that some of the content was a little bit redundant as I went through the years of my education and I didn't feel like I was learning and, and figuring out new things. Um, but right. at that time I had this interesting opportunity to go and live with my mother in the British Virgin Islands. Now my mother had moved right. from where we lived, which was in Toronto, Canada, moved from Toronto to the Virgin okay. Islands to take a job as a healthcare consultant in the Caribbean. So coming from the Canadian healthcare system and trying to bring some of that goodness, <laughs> you know, to the British Virgin Islands healthcare system. And so I said, yeah, I'll go down there right. for the summer. Uh, but I told my mom, I can't come down there if I don't have a job. And she helped me apply right. and get a job with the town and country planning department, managing a spatial database and building maps using uh, Esri's ArcView product. And that was the, the wow, first time I'd ever done this. They basically put me in front of a computer and like, hey, can you work this out? And I was like, <laughs> it's just maps and, and tables of data. It's like, yeah, I'll play around with this. So for three months, I built maps that looked at new types of construction. I built some larger maps for display about you know, the islands and really got hooked on the notion of right. GIS. And so I went back to school and I said, oh, I want to you know, add another major. I want to do geography with this GIS emphasis. So I got right into it. And then one of my professors later on, uh, before I graduated, you know, I talked to him, I said, hey, one time, you know, you worked for this company, Esri, this, the company that makes all the software that we're using. How'd you do that? 
Right. And he's like, well, this is what I did. I went to the University of Waterloo, which is where I was. And then I graduated and went to a post-grad program on the east coast of Canada at a small college called the Center of Geographic Sciences, COGS. And it's in this okay. small okay. town, Lawrencetown in Nova Scotia, but it's a world-renowned surveying school. Uh, you know, they do a lot of like, you know, ocean survey type of stuff. Right. Um, right. But they also have a GIS program and remote sensing program. So I said, okay, yeah, if I go there, um, you know, like, then I'll have the skills. He said, no, no, Esri recruits from there. Like, they're going to go there every year. Oh, wow. And I was okay. like, oh, great, because I'm good at interviews, man. Like, if I just go, I'll get an interview. <laughs> and I'm that guy where it actually worked out. I went there to get a job with Esri. Nice. <laughs> they came and they said, yeah, we're going to hire you. So I moved from, you know, Nova Scotia, basically, down to California, Dang. where their headquarters is. And I spent over nine years at Esri working on, you know, their core desktop product called ArcMap and their uh, more recent 2D, 3D product called ArcGIS Pro. And then right. after 10 years, um, you know, I sort of from there, I'd really built up this uh, knowledge and, and sort of like my passion was already there around mapping and location and how important it was. Right. Uh, and while I was at Esri, you know, I really understood just the variety of use cases, like just the um, you know, ubiquitous nature in which people were working with and trying to solve location uh, problems. Right. Right. So um, yeah, I kind yeah. of captured all that. And when I saw this, this opportunity at Tableau to really uh, make it self-service and easy, you know, because what I just described to you yeah. was, uh, you know, a four and a half year uh, co-op degree program, a nine month boot camp in <laughs> uh, Nova Scotia in the winter, which I will say was difficult. Right. And, you know, and then after that, I went to Esri and realized I didn't know anything. Right. So, okay, then, wow. you know, it took a lot and I wanted to come to Tableau and help build tools that allowed anyone to really work with and understand location data, geography, administrative data, and how to make sense of, uh, of the world. Amazing, amazing story. It's, it's so fascinating listening to people like yourself talk about sort of their background because a, a common thread that I, I keep seeing come up is people just take a chance and try something out, try something new. They realize they have a passion for it. And boom, you know, they're doing what they love now, you know. For, yeah, no, it's, it's amazing how many like dominoes were lined up. And, you know, I just knocked the first one down when, you know, I right. went down and, and took that first job and was like, oh, and I and it was like, like that. I was like, I'll do this forever. You know, like that's fine with me. Right. Um, and, you know, and of course, it's it's a little bit different, right? I, I thought I would be an analyst. I didn't know I was going to get into right. software development, right? Like that's yeah, kind yeah. of radically right, different. Right. Um, but then I They're thought, well, no, no, yeah. I'm, I'm building the tools that people use. And it's a, it's a really interesting, you know, it's a really interesting job. That's pretty awesome. Um, I guess my next, my next question to you is um, you're in this sort of amazing opportunity where you can bring people closer to some of the you know features you've seen through your career, but at the same time, the space is evolving and moving forward. Right. So how do you, how do you stay in touch with the innovative sort of space in, in mapping, right? Whilst also keeping an eye on what's still quite hard to do for the everyday user like me, who's not a spatial uh, expert and sort of bridge those two gaps. Yeah. I mean, how do you keep your finger on the pulse of everyone's needs and where the world's going to be? And how do you predict where it's going to be in five years to 10 years? Right. Um, right. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. I know that uh, what's, what's interesting for me is, you know, working in a technology company uh, that's kind of, you know, on, mm -hmm. on the bleeding edge. Right. And, you know, coming from where I came from in my background, again, like these, these are companies that have really tried to push the envelope and really been in that sort of that cutting edge. Um, you know, and now we're looking at, you know, the influx of 
uh, AI backed, ML backed capabilities, right? Like smarter mm -hmm. features, things where you can press a button and get an answer already for you and it's the right answer, right? And you, know, you often hear right. this phrase, you know, moving from what or where to why, right? Like why there right. and, and so forth. Yeah. And, um, you, you know, I think the interesting thing here is there are going to be people who, who just need the building blocks, right? The people who right. understand the space and, and they, they like the Lego, right? They just want to build themselves if you give them the right blocks and the right tools. Right. And then there, then there is, yeah. and that's still people who use, you know, tools, self-service tools like Tableau, right? Like I'm not saying that this right. isn't that kind of tool. But there are still going to be uh, a more uh, sort of novice, sort of like base user who just is not going to come with any of the background in terms of, uh, you know, spatial analytics one, but like just data visualization, best practices, data literacy sort of concepts, right? Right. And yeah, and yep. it's like, how do you how do you really cultivate that? It's you know, the product is one part of it. But I really think it's an alignment and like a larger mission of our whole, you know, of our organization, the one that I work for, uh, but just like the data community, right. like everyone who's in this, the, the knowledge workers of the world mm -hmm. and, the, and the data uh, community of the world, right? Um, you know, we have to right. move people forward and organizations forward by cultivating these data cultures and uh, data literacy and like those kinds of things, right? Um, right, right. So I, I know I'm kind of veering a little bit from sort of your original question, but nah, that's good. Yeah, I, I do think. You know, I, I, I have, you know, so I have, a, I have thoughts about this, which is, which is good, right? I have, I have, I have a way of right. which I see the world and, and who we need to help uh, solve problems. And then I have to look at what's available, right? Like what are the ways in which we can solve these right. problems and what are the, the real needs of these particular segments, right? And if we look at sort of the modern approaches or the new technologies that are emerging and how best to employ those to serve these audiences, um, you know, right. well, we can do that. It's not, it's not an unsolvable problem by any stretch. But I also think everything we do in that space is it's tending to benefit everyone else that was already here. Right. Has a right? Kind of and, and it yeah. helps. Yeah. The hard part is when it comes to like, in, in some cases, people are kind of married to the way they do things or, you know, there's insecurities about change. Right. And even mm -hmm. or, you know, mm -hmm. and there's and there's trust issues. You know, someone who has a established methodology who knows how they right. did it and, and knows they've used that tool for a long time. You know, there's skepticism when it comes to what you want me to use as a new tool and that tool is going to tell me the answer. Yeah. You know, so I always say like, you know, pick the tool that's right for you, pick the tool that's right for the job, explore it, use it. But, right. you know, you should never be so married to one particular set of tool or, or you know, you should have a large toolbox, right. lots of tools. Right, right. Perfect. Yeah, no, it's it's very true. I think um, we have a data school here in the UK and um, we, we teach Tableau and Nautrix sort of exclusively in the curriculum. But uh, one thing we always encourage people to do is once they go out to, you know, their clients and placement, uh, we try and encourage them to kind of see what they can do outside of Tableau and Nautrix and, 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 and stuff and Tableau prep and bring that back into the product because there's things that other technologies can do that, you know, Tableau inherently can and probably won't want to do because it's not in the sort of problem space that they're trying to solve. Um, so it's always a sort of a good way to, to, to sort of fortify your skills, as it were, or understanding of, of the world, well, as it were. Well, yeah, awesome. I mean, if you think about, you know, customers have problems today, like, and right. many problems in the world, you know, are urgent, right? Like, whether whether mm -hmm. a business depends on it or it's solving a, a public health issue, I mean, these things aren't the things that you need to wait on or you want to wait on. And so if you don't have right. a set of tools, right, like a, an, an arsenal of things you can go to, then, you know, you're probably right. not going to be able to solve everything that comes at you, right? 
Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You need a Swiss army knife of sorts, right? So. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess my last question for you is what's your, what's like your pet peeve? What do you see in a workbook? What, what do people send to you asking for that you look at and you just go, Oh no, you know, like, <laughs> you know, that's, that's hard. I, I, I thought you were going to ask, what is my pet peeve in life and really, really catch me off guard. Oh. <laughs> um, but I'm going to tell you that anyways, you know what my pet peeve in life is, is when someone goes to hand Go you something, it. you know, they go to hand you something and they right. let go before you've grabbed right. it all the way. And then it drops. Uh, you no. know, like the, the baton <laughs> dropping. Every time I see a relay race, I'm like, just don't drop the baton. Um, but that's, don't watch the British team then. <laughs> but Pretty yeah, when it, when it comes to, uh, you know, data visualization and maps, um, you know, you see this at times and I can point out this one sort of more common example. Right. Um, right. It's funny, like everything we were talking about today, like I was just talking about recently, which is you know, maps lie. They lie all the time. Yeah. And it's yeah, because yeah, of, yeah. you know, you're, you're looking at a very complex 3d world, uh, you know, 2d space yeah. on a screen with a number of pixels. Like there's only so many things that can be accurate. Um, right. And so how people sort of, take advantage of that right like if you lie with a purpose right. like you know you see this you know ridiculous administration in the white house showing showing <laughs> maps of like their electorate and their constituents like how are you going to impeach this and the whole country's red it's like yeah because nobody lives in those places but they are large areas and i can kind of normalize right. and rationalize myself um and when you look at that with sort of a, a different view right proportionally mm -hmm. um it's obviously a radically mm -hmm. different and more accurate picture of the world right and so it's a pet peeve right. when i see uh obviously that's a that's sort of like a you know a politically motivated thing is is bad yeah because that affects yeah, you know yeah. how democracies function so that's a pet peeve right. tim that's a real strong pet peeve right um <laughs> when someone you know says like uh like i have a map of the states of a country or the provinces right. of the country um, and you know, they, they color them in a certain way and they're like, Hey, like, look, look, there's a lot of red there. It's like, well, you know, just because that's the biggest area, it's the same issue, right? Like it's not so serious as affecting all of democracy, but it, it might affect their business and how they think about moving forward. Um, so, you know, I, I'd love for people to sort of better understand the right visualization type. Um, uh, but it's, it's not like a Good. wild pet peeve where I'm like, God, again, um, unless it's someone who's, you know, out to thwart the, the democratic values of a, of a nation or the world, but yeah, that is a <laughs> awesome awesome well yeah okay great that's uh it's, it's pretty it's pretty fair as well actually i think um I, I have that sort of view with a lot of with a lot of sort of different chart types sankeys you mentioned yeah. earlier on the classic everyone wants them but no one understands <laughs> them <Yeah. laughs> there's so much research on that it's it's a classic one um right i think I'll, I'll hand it over to you if you've got any questions for me before we before we drop off um ravi's not here so i'm gonna face the full i know of your, my, my savage uh, inquisition questions, right <laughs> um i mean tim like yeah i mean i'm a, a maps and spatial guy but this doesn't need to be right uh, so much about maps and spatial but um what what is it that you'd like to see from the data community you know i'm not talking about the tableau product or anything like that but like right what would you right. like to see the data community sort of rally around and promote and do better um if you look at this here right um i think the number one thing for me has to be um people i think there's a there's there's often a there's often an outcry for diversity in in the community and uh typically people rally around the most 
uh, sort of visible sort of forms of diversity, whether it's gender, ethnicity, and so on and so forth. Um, but what there isn't enough of is sort of a rally around sort of diversity that's not visible, if that makes sense. So diversity in terms of the type of content. So something I'm doing a lot is videos. So, you know, I'm dyslexic. I, I hate reading stuff. Um, I hate writing stuff. So that's why I don't write many blogs. Um, and so, you know, I'm trying to do my part to, to, to put more video content out there. But likewise, you think... Uh, people kind of all come from different sort of places. And I think as a community, we can all do a bit more just to sort of um, pay attention to the different forms of diversity that don't often get a look in, so whether it's different ways of thinking, uh, maybe introverts, as, as it were, because, you know, Twitter community is very extroverted by its nature. That's that's just Twitter for you. Um, but there's, you know, great people doing great stuff on the forums that you, you, you don't you don't really come across unless you're yourself kind of going through the forums and, and kind of seeing that. So. I think more of us, I guess, self-awareness of that, um, I think would be, would be something I'd ask everyone. I, I don't really think there's a feature because every, every, everything that's feature-based tends to be very specific to certain use cases. So the very sort of organizational or sort of corporate, if yeah. that makes sense. So, no, yeah. that's a, that's a great response. Yeah. Um, yeah, Tim, I, I mean, yeah. I, I could ask you questions all day. Like, you know, what do you, what do you think about, right. what do you think about <laughs> Ravi being a Zen master? Um, <laughs> I was gonna say, like, we didn't even touch on this. Oh, like, little little bugger. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I started this podcast, and now I look know, where like, he is. Man, like... you propped him up, right? <laughs> Basically, honestly, the guy, honestly. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great news for him. Um, well deserved as well. Like, he's done. He's done a lot of great work um, in the community. More than. More than I think most people recognize. And that's the same with all Zen masters, right? They've, they've all put in work in, in lots of different ways. And that's that's why they've been recognized. So hats off, actually. Yeah, no, I, I can say something about you know, what I know about the process of selection and you know how hard it is, right? Like there are, right. it's not like there's just, you know, 10 or just 30 nominees. There's, there's 70, right. 80, hundreds. Yeah. Um, right. And you know, there, there really is like an attempt to, like you said, um, for some of the more obvious uh, sort of, uh, ways we look at diversity to 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 promote right. a, a diverse group and, and to really understand and represent that in the class of Zen masters. Um, but like you're saying, right. like with Ravi, it, 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 you know, some of the things that he understands and he's promoted, uh, whether you know through Project Griffin or um, you know understanding yeah. sort of the administrator's view and, and just having a different take on things is also sort of unique right. and, and and sort of elevates you, right? Um, and and right. I like I really like that that is happening, right? It's a really hard conversation a really hard evaluation process um but when you right. look at the class i mean i don't think you can really argue it um you know given the the sort of breadth of skills and geographies right. yeah. and ranges of, of of what people bring uh to the table so it, it's it's a, yeah it's an interesting thing it's a good class yeah. it's a good class Perfect. Okay. Um, I think that's, that's it. Uh, thank, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'm sorry, Ravi had to, you know, Zen master now just setting off to this and that. Literally, <laughs> I, I haven't stopped receiving messages from him going, Oh, now I'm doing this. Now I'm doing this. Look at I this. Know. It's like, it's like a friend who constantly messages you, right? Like, Hey man, I'm going to be late. I got this other thing. You're like, dude, your life, your, your time. Right. Um, yeah. You're, you're, you're now one of them. Uh, Tim, I, I'll catch him. Tim, some I did want to say thank you guys for having me on. And, uh, you know, thank Ravi no for me, or if I see him in person, I will do so. I appreciate I the time on do. the air and being able to talk about some you know, fun stories and not just about Tableau or the things that we work on, but uh, <laughs> digging in a little deeper. So exactly. I look forward to uh, the next Analog episode that comes out.
Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, that's the show. Um, if you want to catch the episode uh, notes, you can head on over to Datum Pod and uh, catch season three, episode four there. Um, Ravi can't be with us at the end of this podcast, so I'm going to have to close this out solo. Uh, we'll be getting back to our usual format, doing a bit next time um, very soon. And in our next episode, we'll sort of do a roundup of this episode. All right, take it easy. <laughs>